Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist podcast that is getting lit on queer lit. (laughs) (laughs) Today we have Laura and Zoe. And today we have the delirious honor of interviewing one of my nearest and dearest, Emrys Donaldson. Ooh. Yay! Emrys <laughs> um, is an assistant professor of English at Jacksonville State University. Their work has recently appeared in Passages North, The Rupture, Cartridge Lit, and Red Divider, among many others. They have an MFA in prose from the... University of Alabama. I almost just said Alabama University. (laughs) (laughs) As well as an English BA from Cornell University. Not only have they been published in various ways, but they also have taught in a plethora of ways as well. And we are super lucky to speak with them today. Welcome, Emrys. Yay. Yay. Welcome. Thank you all. So happy to be speaking with you. Is there anything else that you'd like to add in terms of introducing yourself? Um, just that I know we're going to talk about translit and I'm trans and bi. Um, I'm also kind of a season of the bitch super fan. I'm just going to put that out there. Oh my God. <laughs> I wish that I had a foam finger that I could just be waving <laughs> at myself in the room right now. Oh shit. We should make those. Oh my God. I'm like... Oh, love you, Amaris. <laughs> so good. Well, we're so glad to have you, and I can't believe you're a super fan. That makes me feel totally floored, and because you're, like, essentially one of the smartest people I know. So it's amazing. Um, anyway... I feel like Zoe always makes fun of me for just, like, gushing over the people that we're interviewing, so I'm just going to stop. Well, (laughs) I don't make fun of you. First of all, I love it, but also, it's different when it's someone that you actually know. (laughs) (laughs) True, true. Interviewing someone that we don't actually know, and we're like, hello, we're obsessed with you, we've been talking about you all week, welcome! (laughs) Yeah. I don't have a good filter, I'm just like, I'm just gonna tell you. (laughs) Um, Amazing. Well, I thought we could start out, um, well, first of all, if people haven't listened, we did a, a different queer literature episode as well, they're not like mutually exclusive you can listen to one and listen to another but you obviously should listen to both um but I thought we could start out by talking about um why queer literature is so important to you yeah so it's super important um I think that queer and trans literature and kind of like any and all literature from gender and sexual minority umbrella folks um is really it's important to me because I want to see the diversity of our experiences and especially of our joy like reflected in the literature about us um I recently read time is the thing a body moves through by T Fleischman which came out last year and which is awesome it's so good and um in the book, there's uh, it's semi-autobiographical. Well, it's like wholly autobiographical, mostly. Um, and it 
part of it is like we take our joy very seriously, our deadly serious joy. And that just like really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. Um, this this way in which joy is like uh, underpins resilience, but also is super fun and ridiculous and also very serious. It's a very serious thing, this joy. <laughs> yes. um. <laughs> we take our joy very seriously. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I would like, I'm very curious and would love to hear about why it's important to y'all as well, even though I know that in the queer literature episode, um, you talked about it a little bit. Um, Oh my God, you're so sweet. I can't even handle it. You're like, I know from this other episode because I listened and I'm so great. Anyway, yes. No, you're so right. It is very important to me. Actually, since the episode with Megan, I've read several more queer books um, because I was kind of inspired by that episode as well as had um, a few different books recommended to me um and as well as our dear friend of the pod Rachel just came out a book came came out a book came out <laughs> Jesus she just came out as a book she just like she decided <laughs> hey um she she came out with her book uh Rust Belt Femme which we will be talking to her about um in a few weeks but I've really been enjoying that as well as like some other books anyway uh Part of that was I recently watched Midnight in Paris and um, there's a moment where the main character is going back in time and um, he has this, he's dancing with this woman and he goes back and he's talking to Ella Fitzgerald and uh, she's like, oh, did you like dancing with Juno Barnes? And the main character was like, oh my God, that's why she wanted to lead. And I didn't know who Juno Barnes was, but as soon as he said, that's why she wanted to lead, I was like, oh, they're talking about queer shit. I'm going to do some (laughs) snooping. Um, Because kind of as we talked about on that last episode, like those are the queer coded things that I feel like we're looking for (laughs) uh, among like the the chaos of straight culture. Um, And when I looked it up, uh, she has this book um that was known to be essentially the one of the first lesbian novels um and uh t.s Eliot wrote the introduction for her and he essentially is just fawning over it um in a way that is like very interesting to read but anyway the whole thing i haven't finished it yet but it's very good why am I forgetting the name of it? Is oh, it Nightwood? It is Nightwood. <laughs> <laughs> it's Nightwood. I couldn't remember the name for a second. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, that's why Sweet. I just like I'm always feeling like I feel really whole after I, you know, feel like I'm being represented in content. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, first of all, full disclosure, which I kind of said on the other episode, um, I'm a very slow reader, so I'm much more of a, like, movie and TV person than reading. My reading is often a need-to-know basis um, situation, (laughs) but I have been reading Rachel's book, which is amazing, um, because when I do read, I'm usually 
into the nonfiction stuff more. Though when I read fiction, I'm always like, I'm glad I did that. But, you know, whatever. Um, But as, like, a teen, I read a lot of YA, like, books about, um, mostly about gay boys, because that was, like, the the queer books that mm-hmm. I could find in Barnes and Noble or whatever. But I think it was just really important, like reading coming of age stories of people that were not straight since that's what I was doing at the time. Um, right. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, yeah. Like it's obviously important to see yourself represented and just see other kinds of people represented so that you aren't like, wow, I've never heard of that before. Like, <laughs> It's just important right. to see different types of people and know that they exist. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I thought of this question last night as I was falling asleep because <laughs> sometimes that's how my brain works. Um, but also because I I haven't had this this interaction too much, but I have had it more than once. So it made it kind of notable to me. Where particularly when I'm talking to other leftists um, and I'm like, are you reading anything like these types of things? Um, And I feel like I'm often reading novels um, and I feel like I sometimes get this weird like hierarchy thing sometimes. Uh, I don't know if you notice this because maybe you're surrounded by people who love literature so I don't know but (laughs) for me I I have found that a few people I've spoken to have been like well I only want to read something if I'm gonna learn something and I'm like you don't learn things from stories like what are we talking about I don't know so I just didn't know if you had any response or thoughts or have encountered um people saying like I don't have time to read novels I only read nonfiction or something like that is that me no, I don't think that's what you were saying. I think you were just saying, like, you don't read. <laughs> I think you were just saying you don't read until you have to, which is different than people who maybe read often but are pretty much only reading nonfiction. There are books I really want. This is a – I'm not answering your question. Just I do have a lot of books I want to read that are on my shelves, and I'll, like, you know, pick them up, read a chapter, and then, you know, forget for a while. <laughs> totally I think that's fine. a really common experience. Yeah, Totally. Um, Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, sorry. Ah, (laughs) you're so right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Redact. I redact. Um, Novels on the left. Well, it seems like a lot of the time when I do see leftists talking about novels, it's often using images or concepts from novels to almost like as a synecdoche for something that's actually happening. Totally. So I saw that a lot when all the first Snowden disclosures and stuff Mm. about the NSA was becoming really public is that there was a lot of Orwell and a lot of Orwellian stuff. And it's like, y'all, there's more than like one (laughs) book about this. (laughs) There's so many books and like if we had all read more of them and like maybe if you had read more of them, like we would have a sort of wider um, narrative vocabulary almost to to talk about it. Yeah. Um, It's kind of, it can be kind of limiting, I think, um, to, to not read novels, but then 
I do, I do exist a little bit in a kind of um, like my work is at a university. So it's I work and I teach things that we're all reading together. Mm-hmm. So I, I get to spend a lot of my um, work day now talking about books with people. So it feels very present because of that. But there aren't really any other areas of my life where it feels like there's a high value placed on um, reading Mm. novels, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's how I feel too. And I just wanted to like bounce that idea off you because I was just like getting really annoyed last night as I was falling asleep. Cause I was like, why is that? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, why are we doing this? Um, but yeah, amazing. Maybe it's, maybe it's like absorbing this kind of STEM mentality of, Mm we must do these things and like if we can't make it productive <laughs> profitable yeah right if it's you know reading something has to be productive and we have to get something out of it and like if we don't get anything out of it or if it's just like really weird for no reason and it's unsatisfying then like what's the point mm. uh, yeah yeah that's what i was kind of thinking about is like um Definitely not to make an overgeneralization. I think there is kind of this culture on the left of like not being able to have fun or like enjoy things that are considered like frivolous. Mm -hmm. Because like we have to be always like working on the cause. (laughs) So everyone have more fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, Going back to we take our joy very seriously. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (laughs) And if if you, like, aren't having fun, then how do you have the energy to keep working on the cause? You'll just, like, keep working on the cause until you just, like, fall over and lie (laughs) on the ground. And that's it. Right. And then what good are you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to put any productive value on another human. That's not what I was trying to do. I was kind of making fun of that. I just want to clarify that. (laughs) (laughs) Nap caucus. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. I'm I'm a founding member. <laughs> Co-founder of the Nap Caucus. Um, <laughs> when we had our first queer literature episode, we focused mostly on sexuality. So let's talk about being trans and or having trans characters within queer literature. What's the importance of trans voices in terms of writing and what are the importance of trans characters? This is such a good question. Um, Thank you. Yeah, no, it really is. Um, I think, so, in terms of the importance of trans voices, there are some cis writers who do a really amazing job writing trans characters. Um, Nettie Okorafor, who, um, as far as I'm aware, is cis, does an amazing job at this. And I um, listened to and read all like all everything she's written in 2018 and 2019 and I was like wow you do a really great job like every book she has at least pretty much at least one character who's well written well rounded and just happens to be trans Amazing. Uh, and they like do different things in different books and stuff like that um so she's doing so good um unfortunately a lot of writers a lot of other writers who aren't trans um a lot of other cis writers don't do the best job um and so 
that can lead to a lot of just like tropes and stereotypes like you know sat you know everyone has a queer death at the end or everyone has a trans death at the end um no one gets pregnant or like trans pregnancy is sort of seen as this science fictional thing in and of itself rather than just feeling like yes some trans people can get pregnant like some can't just like cis people like why is this a thing um and i think that can feel really shocking and bad especially because a lot of the time books that do a really shitty job um end up not really getting a reaction in the wider literary discourse or if they Mm. do it's pretty small and so that's why it's important for for trans voices to be heard because i know that you know everyone's an expert on their own experience and so um reading work written by trans authors about trans people is often just better and more Mm -hmm. complex it's not like ooh, wow there's this like strange person because they're (laughs) trans it's like yeah people are trans okay let's move on (laughs) actually like tell the story wait you're a human being i forgot what another person in the world (laughs) sometimes i forget that yeah yeah (laughs) it's good to remember that we are indeed human beings (laughs) yeah and it's so wild too that we're just like these uh you know bags of meat on Mm -hmm. a space rock getting to write stories about it um pretty cool um in terms of trans characters though like being able to see oneself in, in fiction and or to experience this radical empathy with imaginary trans people, I think is a really positive way to sort of embed um, the kind of empathy that leads to action in uh, stories or mm-hmm. via stories um, and really just sh- show the breadth of different experiences and different lives, um, especially lives that are not like uh that don't have linear medical transition narratives um because i feel like a very common cultural narrative is kind of like um 90s uh windows computer trying to do something (laughs) where there's like the loading bar and it's like you are zero percent medically transitioned like you are a hundred (laughs) percent and i feel like there's this narrative that like the whole experience of transition is just like watching that bar load and then get to 100 and then you're done (laughs) and you can move on or whatever but that just isn't the reality for so many people and a lot of the time that that isn't represented. So, so being able to have characters um, for whom that's represented is key. Um, totally. I mean, yeah. I identify with that in, in a queer sense also, because I feel like for me, that has been such a multi-directional story, I guess. And so it's not like it just goes, you go from like straight to gay. <laughs> It's like there's there's a lot there and I don't know. So I that that's like such an important point and I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah, totally. I feel like the murk being in the murky space or like the questioning space is sometimes gets jumped over. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that's a really awesome and important space to be in and some people are in that space for a really long time or they come back to that space, you know, over the course of their life or whatever. So 
I'm laughing because I feel like that was me and is me. <laughs> so I don't want you to feel like I'm laughing at, at you or anything you're saying. I'm just like, wow, yes. Aw, well, good. Anyway, just in my feels. <laughs> yeah. I also wanted to mention uh, the sort of trans publishing industry mm, or yes. trans focused small presses because in the last like 15 or 20 years or so especially there have been a bunch of small presses that are publishing um trans focused work um like left press um uh, puts out the transcendent anthology each year which is edited uh, best speculative fiction um by trans people, usually about trans people. Um, and I think occasionally there's like a story that's about trans people written by someone who doesn't Id- identify as trans, but primarily. Um, mm-hmm. And it's edited by uh, Bogey Takach, who is also an awesome uh, trans sci-fi writer. Um, there's also Arsenal Pulp Press, uh, which re- recently published Paul Takes the Form of a Mortal Girl by Andrea Lawler, which is awesome, and I highly recommend it, especially Ooh. if you like, yeah, I feel like, like you would really like it. <laughs> okay, I'm literally adding it to my list right now. <laughs> <laughs> it really, sp- like, that book really spoke to me, um, mm. especially because uh, Paul sort of goes in between these like gay men's spaces and gay women's spaces and sort of like in between spaces. And that's how I feel a lot of the time. Mm. Um, And so like seeing that flux and that fluidity represented is really cool. So yes, you should read it. Yeah. I know what you think. Oh my God. I will. Cool. (laughs) I do want to talk about sci-fi. Um, I've really gotten into sci-fi in the past couple years. I think growing up, I kind of just thought sci-fi was like a cis male thing, which is also what I thought about a lot of other like genres and topics. Um, (laughs) And then when I realized like, oh no, I actually just think that like cis men are boring, not this genre. um, I like it. So I've been getting really into sci-fi and I think uh, like it allows for imagining uh, different and often better worlds, which I think connects really well to being queer. We talked about sci-fi actually on our episode with um, Lyda Gold because she does a lot of writing about this. So I think there's a lot of connections both to like um, leftism and queerness. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you what the connections are for you. Yeah, totally. Um, and I, I'm so curious like what sci-fi y'all like. Oh my god! Or okay. like our reading, <laughs> but I can answer the question first. I don't like which, whichever. Um, up to you. I definitely am gonna um talk about Shira, but you can answer first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I the book that the books that I keep picking or keep talking about on this fucking podcast are um those two graphic novels that I've been reading or that I have read on a sunbeam and I'm fucking forgetting the other one because my head is broken. Um, but so that's been a big one that I've been reading a lot. And, um, I also just read the babysitter's coven, (laughs) which I love. So I love sci-fi. 
It is. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Oh, now I need to read it. Um, and I mean, like, I feel like I've always loved kind of like the the whole run of it. You know, um, Octavia Butler is incredible, and yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really like um, Bitch Planet, as I've definitely talked oh, about yeah. before, because I'm obsessed with it. Um, Why the Last Man was one of the first, like, graphic novel series that I got really into. I like, you know, like, feminist and queer utopia-type situations, which I think, like, just allows for a very nice escapism. And I'm like, wow, wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, why not work toward that? Yeah. Exactly. There's this anthology called um, Octavia's Brood that came out a few years ago um, with AK Press. And in it, uh, it's by different writers and activists and some people who haven't written fiction before. And a lot of the stories in there are about pretty much doing exactly that kind of um, doing the work of imagining mm-hmm. other better futures as thought experiments sort of with the goal that we can't collectively make something come into being unless we have imagined what 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 it is that we want like what that utopia would be um mm-hmm. is sort of the the gist of of that anthology and i loved it um it's really good it's uh editors are Adrienne Marie Brown and Lolita Marisha, um, who both like are amazing in their own right as well. Oh my God. I've seen that at the bookstore so many times and have almost grabbed it. And now I'm just like, Laura, what the fuck? So do well, now it. You know to get it next time. Yeah. Do now it. I know. <laughs> do it. Do it. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. And in terms of the connections between sci-fi and sort of, gender, sexuality, identity, um, space is gay. Yep. So. <laughs> yes. I don't know what kind of gay. I don't really care what kind of gay. It it's doesn't matter. Space, space doesn't like labels. <laughs> Except that it is definitively gay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh, I mean, Earth is now poly with two moons. So. Oh, my God. The truth. The second moon, yeah. honestly, praise. Yeah. Little moon girlfriend. Yes. Yeah. Little mini moon. Mini moon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also, so in terms of like building a new world on the page or in your brain with doing world building with sci-fi um, mm-hmm. and being trans is kind of like, um, I recently taught the Souls of Black Folk in my American Literature class by W.B.E.B. Du Bois. Mm. Uh, And we talked a lot about double consciousness. And that's kind of how that works for me with the connection between sci-fi and being trans is that there's, on the one hand, it's like for daily survival, we have to see how others see us um, always and sort of measuring and gauging that perception but also Mm. holding space for how I see myself or how we see ourselves and valuing that and bringing our joy to that Mm. um and in terms of sci-fi 
and like medical transition stuff. Uh, being trans is kind of science fictional on its own. And then it's even wackier to like go and do medical stuff. And there's just like not really a lot of data on a lot of things. So my doctor's like, eh, this will probably happen, but like, uh, we don't really know. So just like stick a needle in your butt and see what happens. <laughs> totally. And that's kind of, <laughs> I mean, if that's not sci-fi, I don't know what is. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I do have a need to um, plug She-Ra. So <laughs> um, I'm obsessed with it. It's a super queer cartoon. Um Speaking of capitalism, so the original <laughs> She-Ra in the 80s, I just watched a video about this. Well, yeah. So in the 80s, like, the She-Ra, She-Ra was created to, for selling dolls, and then they were like, oh, like, we'll make a show to sell the dolls. Um, so in the show, all the different, like, characters, the princesses, were the same, like, mold because they made one doll mold with different colored, like, hair and outfits. So it was a super not diverse show. But the new one is a very diverse show, and I'm so happy to tell you why. Um, so, <laughs> and so, here I go in telling you why. Thank you. <laughs> yes. So there's a lot of different like skin colors and body types and all of that. Great. There's a ton of queer characters. There's like some like gay princesses. There's one of the main characters in an episode. They go to visit like his parents, and he has two dads. And that character's by Honestly, most of the characters are, like, openly not straight, and it's amazing. Um, and this past season, they added um, a non-binary character who is voiced by a non-binary person whose name I looked up right before this, whose name is um, Jacob Tobiah. And the character is, like, a shape-shifting, like, mercenary that um, is, like, very mischievous. It's very fun. So anyway, everyone should watch that. It's amazing. That's Where do you point. watch it? On Netflix. Wow. <laughs> we all have one of those subscriptions or know someone who has one. Like, I feel yeah. like more and more, though, there's more shows on the other streaming things. And I'm like, y'all, I cannot. <laughs> like, I know that conglomerates are bad. And also, I can't afford all these things. <laughs> yeah. That's why no. I we all need like a Todd in our lives. Like, oh yes. There's this dude named Todd whose Hulu subscription I use, <laughs> who is my ex's friend's former roommate from like three oh, years ago, and amazing. he has not changed his password. Like, wow. bless. Yes, <laughs> that is honestly. Shout out to Todd. Rarely seen. <laughs> Thank you, Todd. Thanks, Todd. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, also the main character flies around on a rainbow unicorn. So that, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Shira is a perfect show. Thank you for so much for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> have any of you? Have either of you seen Steven Universe? Speaking yes. Of? Oh my god, I, I have not, it, but, but my friend has some. recommended it. Yeah, that's another very queer cartoon. Everyone's got to see it, including me. Yes. What? Yes. I know. I know. I've watched a few because my friend, like, we were hanging out and she was like, you have to see it and played some episodes. And I did like it. I just haven't continued yet. Mm. But I will. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, Emrys, I was really curious. um, Who has been inspirational to you as a writer, as a queer person, as a trans person? 
Yeah. So the I would say really like the resilience and just laughter and again coming back to that joy um is really the most inspirational thing. Um sort of what I look to and what helps keep me moving. Um yeah. and just the knowledge and continuing to learn more about how um, trans people have always existed and will always continue to exist and other gender minority people similar like have always existed and will always continue to exist um, and every time I learn about like you know the drag performer in 1840s Utah who was like the son of Brigham Young who was like oh super God. famous right I'm like yes oh my um, God yes right? It's so exciting. <sighs> that is so exciting. And so just, there's just like all of these transestors who were out there um, and everyone who did the kind of, you know, the daily work of making life livable, um, especially in the South where I live and everybody who sort of brought us joy. Mm. Um, there's this uh, archive called Invisible Histories um, that is here in Alabama that does a lot of that sort of archival work. There's also the Digital Transgender Archive, which is free online. Um, and I highly recommend that everyone sort of check those out. Um, I personally also think that the South has the best drag performers in the whole country. And I think that they're amazing. amazing and especially in Atlanta and just like the South is I've lived here for six years now. Um, and so like, I'm not, a, you know, maybe I don't count for some people's definitions, but you count I, to me. Aw, <laughs> uh, I love you. <laughs> it's just such a campy place mm, and yeah. it's so unabashed in yes. that camp. Um, it's really goofy, and I, I really love it. Have you watched uh, the new RuPaul's Drag Race? No, I don't watch RuPaul. But... I mean, I understand why, but there are several people from the South on this one, and it that just made me think about it. Oh, I should. It's very fun. I Have was you just... watched... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just very excited about, like, specifically the people from the South truly showed up um on the first episode and i don't want to spoil it for anyone but yeah very very cool <laughs> so that's my only experience with drag related to the south um but i can in that small window totally hear what you're saying and like completely visualize it have you seen dragula no. Either of you? No. I don't even know what that is. What is it? It's so fun. So the um, Boulay brothers are the two hosts. They're a, IRL, a couple, I believe. Um, but so instead of being, it's like filth drag. So instead of being like super hyper femme or like hyper masculine, it's more of a theatrical like witchy and like Halloween-y like spooky drag. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Um, and they have, like, amazing costumes, and it's just, like, very fun and, like, spooky drag. So I like that. Hell yeah. Is goth a kind of drag? I'm pretty sure it's called filth drag is the term for when it's, like, but it's basically goth drag. Um, and I love that. 
club. I'm from Philly, and there's a like club in the neighborhood that's uh, does that type of drag. So I'm used to that. And everyone there, when you walk in, like it looks like you're essentially just like a goth Halloween party, but every night. Kind of amazing. So it's fun. <laughs> Would recommend. Goth drag sounds awesome. I think the the kind of like campy drag show community space that I've seen more frequently has stuff like people wearing, you know, big wigs, but also just like a giant rotisserie chicken costume <laughs> and doing the chicken dance. And oh, so it's yeah. like a kind of drag, but is it chicken drag? Is it like a gender chicken? Like who knows? But it's very fun. That's amazing. Yeah. So in terms of also in terms of inspiration, I've been really thinking a lot about the um, about Lou Sullivan's book that came out last year, year before called Mm -hmm. We Both Laughed in Pleasure Mm -hmm. um, and his biography of Jack Garland. Um, So like he wrote all these diaries and he was living as a gay trans man in San Francisco um, in the 70s and 80s primarily and um, just wrote about it. And so he was also immersed in chronicling like the generation before him. And so now that we're in his future, we are sort of seeing, you know, him as part of our history and that kind of generationality is really inspiring as well. Um, And I've also been recently getting very into this idea of um, organic transgenderism which I read about in this book called Queer Ecologies by Nicole Seymour and um, it makes me think of how a lot of early trans people um, were like gained access to certain social things like changing gender markers by sort of claiming this spontaneous um, transformation and just being like wow I must you know I'm suddenly trans (laughs) So, like, I don't know how that happened, but it just did, like, and now you need to change my gender marker, even though it is 1940. Wow. Yeah. So, that's really cool as well. And that's inspiring as well, this, all of the different ways that people have figured out how to find that joy. Mm. And I'm also curious who, who you all look to for thinking about just thinking through ideas of like resilience and inspiration. Um, what do you do when you're like really, really tired? Ooh. Mm. Good I mean, my friends are the most inspirational to me, truly. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. I truly, I, I'm like so inspired by y'all and like I feel like I think I say on pretty much a daily basis that I'm so lucky that I have the greatest friends in the whole world that they just really inspire me with how strong, how resilient, how intelligent and empathetic the people who are in my life are. I just am totally blown away by it. Um I literally could not think of anyone who inspires me more than y'all. <laughs> so, oh my God, that's uh, so sweet. Wow, it's, it's just the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like I can answer now because the first thing that came to mind when I'm really tired is that I just put on horrible reality TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> 
and text Laura while I'm watching. <laughs> That's <the> true. <laughs> um, and yeah, who do I look to? A lot of like. Yeah, I feel like when I need to just kind of turn my brain off or have an escape, that's why I really like watching not just reality TV shows, but, like, um, documentaries I get pretty into, like, cartoons. Honestly, anything. I'm, like, very visual, so I like things that are, like, very visually appealing and, like, interesting. Mm. Yeah, that's, like, my my thing. Um, I wanted to... to back up my statement to connect to this specific episode further just to say like particularly when I was coming to terms with my own queerness my friends like showed up and so for me again that's anyway didn't want to just be like yes I'm going off on the same bullshit that I always go off on but also it is related to this specifically (laughs) (laughs) it's not bullshit though I mean it's it is it is your truth. It's my truth. And it's, it still is, even if you just keep repeating it. Like, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> so we talked about this on our Quirlet Part 1 episode with Megan. So I wanted to ask you as well, what, like, new or upcoming books um, or other media things are you most excited about? Yeah. So I mostly just made a really long list of books and then made it into a shorter list of books. So I'm sure that there's a lot of other like really awesome media that's happening. Amazing. Um, but there's two books who have their book birthday day today, um, book birthday today, which are Julian K. Darbo's Everyone on the Moon is Essential Personnel, which is a book of short stories. Um, and he's an awesome writer. Um, and he is writing a lot of trans sci-fi, um, basically. And so I recommend that and I am very excited to read it. I hope that it is currently in the mail. Um, and then speaking of space being gay, um, just like there's the, this new book that's also out today called The Space Poet by Samantha Edmonds, um, which isn't trans but is about gay astronaut space girlfriends like oh having a, a lot of feelings a lot of so many feelings and it's so good of and course so- yeah i'm just gonna say of course that's coming out during pisces season it's gonna be <laughs> an emotional ride okay but also what our listeners did not see is emrys also wrote at the top that they know very little about astrology <laughs> Uh, yeah i forgot to mention that i like i I laugh when i saw that i love and support you all but every time (laughs) you do an astrology roast i'm like okay yeah this is i i know nothing about this (laughs) (laughs) and and we love and support you (laughs) is it pisces season because of like lent Mm. or because of the planets or (laughs) I love this question. Definitely it's not Lent. because of Lent. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Although I love that you asked that question. That's what what a, what... At Lent, we all give up our um, <laughs> our, our emotional filters. <laughs> yeah, but Pisces season is essentially like we're all emotional fucking messes. <laughs> Yeah, Pisces season is when Laura tells her friends how much she loves them even more. <laughs> True. <laughs> and it's because of the planets? Yep. Yeah. 
Gotcha. <laughs> All right. The skepticism is palpable. Space <laughs> is gay. <laughs> That's all we need to know. You know, all we need to know is that the planets are gay and that it's Pisces season, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah. And that in this book, there's gay astronaut space girlfriends. Ah, oh, yes. Um, there's also this book called uh, Finna that is by the writer um, Nino Cipri that mm-hmm. is just came out this week from Tor Books. Um, and I haven't read it, but it was blurbed as being a magical anti-capitalist adventure Ooh. Uh, by Annalie Newitz. So that sounds really awesome. Um, I'm excited also about Meredith Talisson's Ferris, which is a memoir. Mm. Um, and Tori Peters' book, Detransition Baby, <laughs> which is also coming out this year. Um and it's really cool to see, especially because her novella, um, Infect Your Friend and Loved Ones, was self-published, I believe, or really small press published, but I think it was self-published. Mm. And that was sort of the novella that catalyzed this T for T discourse and sort of T for T as a um, yeah. mimetic thing. I don't want to say it's a meme because it's not like a picture with captions on it but like as an idea i guess absolutely so to see somebody get to move from from that into having more power in the in literary publishing is always good yeah um i also really loved river solomon's book the deep um which was a short novel that came out in 2019 and it was in collaboration with the musical group clipping so it's sort of like this song that They wrote um, a few years ago, um, River Solomon expanded on the narrative and the song to like write this book. So Mm. that was cool too. Amazing. I wanted to know, uh, because you are an incredible author, if you would like to read some of what you're working on now. Sure. Yes. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So this story is called A Change in the Weather, and it's coming out in Nat Brute um, in a couple of months. And it's about a gay trans dude experiencing some weather phenomena that are related to um, weird mass violence stuff. Um, Mm. So I'm happy to read this. Yes. Um, I'm excited. I'm happy to read other stuff. I have so many essays about butts. It's kind of it's kind of maybe getting to be too much. Like never. I need to stop. It's literally never too butts. much. There's never enough butt stuff. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yes. <laughs> you heard it here first. There's never <laughs> there's never enough butt stuff. <laughs> uh, I agree. Yeah, no, I think you should read the first thing, your first instinct. Yes, cool. please. Okay. Um, This is called A Change in the Weather. The wild horses spooked at the change in the weather. You watched them through your kitchen window, hands deep in suds as they ran through the surf at the tide line. Sweat foamed in the long arcs of their sway backs and wet sand speckled their white coats. The muscles in their flanks flexed. After they crossed the beach, they ran through the swampy puddles where the sand ended, through the trees and back out again, the whites of their eyes rolling in their heads. 
The patter of the rain on your roof blocked out their huffs and whinnies, their panting. Although you lived near wild horses for your entire life, you knew almost nothing about their bodies and their lives, where they went when, as now, they disappeared behind your neighbor's house. Your phone pinged, so you dried your hands and unlocked the screen. When you saw it was Cortez, your heart beat faster. You took a deep breath. You see this prediction? Wild. Want to watch movies? You set a timer for five minutes and took slow, deep breaths. When it pinged, you counted to 30 and texted back. Haha, sure. Got nothing else going on. Come over. You stuffed dirty laundry into garbage bags, which you wedged under your bed. Mm. Crusted pans went into the oven. You showered, then sniffed your three cleanest shirts to find the least dirty one, a white V-neck, which you paired with tight jeans. Cortez took his time, and while you waited, you popped a cotton candy-flavored CBD cartridge into your vape pen. Deep breath in, two, three, out, two, three. You flip through social media and weather apps. On the radar, the incoming event looked like a swarm of migrating birds. On my way, Cortez replied. You pressed the bubble containing his words and held it until your reaction options appeared. Your finger hovered over the heart before you pressed the thumbs up and switched over to the prediction app. Zigzag symbols clustered in the approach vector and skittered across the map as the numbers ticked upward. Your town appeared underneath a block of red and a warning banner flashed. Supercomputer algorithms sucked in loads of data points from acts of mass violence over the past 20 or 30 years to generate predictions. On some server farm, raw calculating power crunched the variables, time of year, sunlight percentage, wind speed, location, tenor of nationwide political discourse, and time since last local hate crime among them. Though they used the largest data set ever generated, the predictions of when and where an event might occur were not perfectly reliable. When it came to the predictions of an event, simultaneous violence and severe weather, you played it safe always. You avoided transit buses, driving in the outer lanes on highways, grocery stores, plazas, arcades, malls, social clubs, American legions, private parties, house parties, gas stations, department stores, outdoor music festivals, indoor symphonies, kindergartens, elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, community colleges, universities, movie theaters, bowling alleys, dive bars, rodeos, sporting events, military bases, workplaces, nail salons, churches, temples, mosques, meditation centers, and public spaces generally, anywhere that might be targeted by someone with an agenda and easy access to an assault rifle. The relationship between changes in pressure systems and the probability of a mass shooting was not well understood. A synagogue shooting happened at the same time as a lightning storm three towns over. Bombs strapped under a bus seat exploded as a tornado spun up in a nearby field. It might be causal, correlative, or simply unrelated. Nobody knew, or if they knew, they weren't telling. Conspiracy theories abounded on the online forums you checked compulsively during idle periods behind the register at work. Some were run-of-the-mill, the federal government keeping citizens in line, aliens trying to kill off humankind, etc. 
Others constructed elaborate video exposés on the connection between chemtrails and manufactured weather. Your phone beeped. About to leave now, my bad. You sighed and locked it. Next application cycle, you would apply to college, major in quantum computing, and impress Cortez enough that he might love you in the ways you wanted. Since you live by yourself and your brother was off somewhere cooking meth, the only person you told about your plans was Cortez. The brochure from the community college in the next town over lay on your kitchen table, the glossy surface catching the light. Yoo-hoo, Cortez yelled after he let himself in. You told your landlord about the broken lock months ago. Got snacks? Uh, you said, your face flushing as you considered your stale box of crackers and half bunch of moldy grapes. Planning ahead, Cortez said, flashing you a smile. I just ate. He popped in melancholia and settled himself on your couch. Each seat was dented in the middle from legions of vintage butts. You were careful to keep distance between you, lest Cortez think you were coming on to him, so you sprawled on the floor. As you reclined, you imitated the posture of Dunst's character as she listened to her horses, to their worn square teeth against mouthfuls of hay. From your vantage point, you admired the curve of Cortez's jaw, the lines of his arms beneath the sleeves of his shirt. When you looked at him this closely, something caught like lint in the back of your throat. You wanted him, and you weren't sure why. When you considered your desire, you felt jealousy, fear, and excitement. The way Kristen Dunst wore a wedding dress into the swamp made you sweat. You fantasized about being the one to hold the bouquet of lilies in your hand, about Cortez finding you there in the water and leaning over the edge to kiss you. You wondered whether all adults secretly wished they inhabited or were otherwise inside someone else. Nothing she can do, you said, just trying to make peace with herself. They don't even have a chance. 100% prediction, he said. He ran his fingers back through his curly hair. They know it's coming and she's chill. I dig that. Dig that, you said. You grinned. He blushed. Both your phones blared with an emergency alert. The prediction was upgraded to 100%. Somewhere out there, someone was shooting to kill. Maybe the severe weather related to it would pass you by. Here comes, Cortez said. Let me know if you want me to keep you safe, you said. You had a strong protective instinct born of loyalty, like a family dog. What, with your cosplay shield? I'll stand over you, holding it. Cortez rolled his eyes. When the hail began, Cortez wedged himself in between the couch cushions. Holding a large square pillow over your head, you dashed out on the porch and snatched a piece the size of a baseball, which immediately began to melt in the palm of your hand. Runnels of water trailed from the creases of your palm onto the floor. On a field trip, your elementary school class had visited a natural history museum. Prominently displayed in the collections were objects from the house of a woman who survived being hit by a meteor, her dented alarm clock, her floral patterned couch with a hole through one of the arms, a segment of her ruined roof. The intensity of the hail increased. Cortez moved under the table, which was still stacked with bills and crumpled chip bags. Although his forehead creased with worry, he flashed you two thumbs up. In that moment, he looked like a kid. You grew up fast, moved out on your own, figured out how to adult while Cortez still lived with his parents. 
when he played with danger, walking on the outside edge of the bridge above the river or touching the horse fence to see if it was on, he did so with the knowledge that whatever happened, his parents would fix it, whereas you worried about whether a bad night's sleep would cut down on your tips the next day. Even if there were anything you felt ready to say to Cortez, the hail made it too loud to talk. You pulled the rest of the cushions off the couch and tented them over yourself. If the storm made you late on the rent, your landlord would throw you and all your shitty stuff out on the street, and you would have to beg someone, probably Cortez's mom, for a place to sleep. The hail roared. The movie kept playing, though the sound of the weather drowned out the dialogue. The characters looked at each other with concern as they drank wine. The roof and ceiling groaned above you and bits of foam and dust shook down like a light snow. The hail ripped open the couch cushions and stuffing spilled out. This house had no basement, so there was no safer place to run. You closed your eyes and focused on your breathing. When, at last, the hail reduced to a patter, your ears rang. When you peeked out from beneath the cushions, the credits were rolling across the screen. As you stood, plumes of dust fell from the folds of your clothing and the creases of your neck. In a few spots, piles of hail settled on the beige carpet. Your whole body hurt from the many tiny impacts. Already, the thin skin over your fingers was beginning to discolor, and you knew soon the pools of blood beneath your skin would turn blue and purple, then fade to green, orange, yellow. You were used to bruises. The ones from your last night at your dad's house were still fading on the backs of your thighs. Cortez lay under what used to be the table. As you brushed splinters and debris from his face, he blinked, stunned. Part of the table had collapsed on him, so you wrapped your arms under his ribcage and tugged him free. You piled white clouds of stuffing behind his back and set him against the piece of furniture formerly known as the couch. An egg-shaped lump rose from the side of his head. He rested the other side on your shoulder, and you reached out to hold his hand. He murmured something indistinct, of which you caught only I and you. Your heart pounded hard, and you wondered whether he could hear it. What? you said, wanting to make sure you heard him right before you said it back. I told you, he said, and emitted a strained bark of laughter. You sighed. Together, you rested a while. Cortez took his hand from yours. You shrank back from him at first, and then he pulled you close. You surveyed the destruction of the walls and ceiling. Pretty bad, though still livable if you patched the holes with tarps and tape. With your free hand, you pulled out your phone to check your social media feeds. If the hail was any indication, someone, somewhere, was grieving, or in that period before grief when the news is coming toward you as slow and steady as a rock rolling down a hill. The screen said no service. Relief washed over you. There was no way you would know, at least not yet, and neither would Cortez. Together you could stay here, a little longer, safe in your shared ignorance. Cortez cuddled into the curve of your chest, right under your shoulder. You hesitated before you kissed the top of his head. Both of you were soaked in melted hail and nervous sweat, which stung as it ran over the scars on your chest. You sat there and held him long after one of your legs fell asleep. As his breath slowed, 
calmed as the wild horse flutter of his heart retreated to an even, steady rhythm. He lifted his face up to you, close, and looked into your eyes. Oh my god! (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Well, first of all, that was amazing. Zoe and I kept texting each other being like, what the fuck? They're so talented. (laughs) Y'all are so kind. (sighs) Do you do like um, live readings because your voice is very soothing? You have a great reading voice. Thank you. Um, I have two readings. I'm doing two readings in San Antonio next week. Oh, my God. Um, Amazing. Yeah. But otherwise, uh, yeah, sometimes one in Mississippi. (laughs) actually um in april as well yay oh amazing i yeah your descriptiveness is like so incredible i don't know i loved every piece of it of course yeah also i was vaping cbd while that was happening and so when you read that part i was like that's me (laughs) (laughs) they know (laughs) cotton candy flavor (laughs) No, actually mango flavor, but close enough. <laughs> close enough to visualize. Yes. Um, oh, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and I know you also wanted us to include a link to the Trans Lifeline in the episode notes, and we definitely will do that. Is there yeah. anything you wanted to say about that further or – Basically, Trans Lifeline is for trans people who are experiencing crisis. It Mm -hmm. can be mental health related. It can just be like a personal crisis or a crisis of identity. Um, And you can call them and talk to them. And it's staffed by all trans people. And unlike some other hotlines, they will not call emergency services on you unless you are okay with that. Mm. Um, So they really value people's consent um, in that regard. And their website is translifeline.org. And if you need to call their hotline, it's 877-565-8860. They also um, help connect trans people to the community support and resources um, that we need. So you can also um, get in touch Um, email them or contact them on social media um, about that as well. So important. Well, Emerus, this was obviously incredible. I'm obsessed with every minute of it. And I just am so grateful you were able to come on today. Thank you both so much for having me. This was really, really good. I really appreciate it. Yay. Thank you. Um, as always, you can hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Season of the Bee. Send us your money on Patreon. We've got new stuff coming out and have an episode that we just released about Mike Bloomberg and how he's the fucking worst. Um, you can send us your ideas at Season of the Bee at gmail.com. Um, and rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do it. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. Okay, <laughs> love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Season of the bitch.